What must be done first? Narrated by Jennifer Lynn. Everyone has an idea as to what path needs to be taken, what reform must be implemented, which issue must be dealt with first. These are opinions. Everyone has one. What will we do about the disagreements is important. How do we reconcile all of the different opinions? We need one path on which all reasonable persons can support. Conventional wisdom tells us we can hold an election or vote to decide on a course of action. We can resort to some procedure to suggest what the decision of the majority is, or we can keep arguing until we see what idea remains after the rest are quelled. A jaundice observer might portray the choice, whatever it is, as being a system of government that falls on a continuum stretching between authoritarianism and chaos. What we rarely stop and consider, or appreciate, is that if these are the only two options, we have no meaningful choices to pick from. If a choice requires the existence of a power block to force the rest of us to embrace the option, the choice has no objective merit. If a choice is not made by individuals looking at the choices and seeing only one with merit, the choices are more imaginary than real. If a choice needs to be enforced, it has no more value than the alternatives. The right and the left see the need for reform. But neither right nor the left can convince the other side that their reforms have the greatest merit. This is because if eliminating socialism is a good idea the left is wrong, and if eliminating capitalism is a good idea, the right is wrong. But no one comes to the realization that the reforms of left and right are cosmetic, at best. At the same time, individuals in one camp migrate to the other, so neither position is unassailable. Atheists become Christians and Christians become atheists. The left become conservatives and conservatives become socialists. Everyone has an opinion, but no one has a solution. The left and right are little more than opinions that people frequently change, and few adhere to absolutely. But then, who knows what the problem is? All the opinions about these problems means no one agrees on which problem is the key one. No one can convince everyone else what problem needs to be prioritized. The left has latched on the problem of racism as being the most divisive and the least able to be addressed, other than through government mandates. Racism is the perfect wedge to drive between people. It is an issue that cannot be resolved and requires constant government oversight and intervention. But is racism the problem the left claims it to be? Is critical race theory the analytical tool Democrats claim it to be? If the KKK were on a far distant island or were required to wear a device that automatically jailed them for any racist thought, the fact that they were racist would not be an issue. Racism is not a problem until it makes problems. Racism has to impact someone. For this to happen, there has to be certain conditions present. 
This means racism is a false flag. It is at best a diversionary tactic to take our attention from something that matters. The problem is power disparities. The problem is not the racist, but the racist's ability to impact the life of the other person. But the powerful do not want to point this out because to identify power disparities as a problem is to move beyond the racist narrative, but also to suggest the problem extends far beyond the race of people. But we need to be careful to not rush to the conclusion that the problem is rich versus poor. Wealth gives individuals power, but so does political office, so does certain functions. Policemen have a power that has nothing to do with their income or politics. Criminals are poor, with no office, no position and no status, but they have a gun. This is often all it takes to shift the balance of power. What we have to realize that where the world has been for 6,000 years is not where we wish to be. But we have to also realize we do not know where we want to get to and we have no idea how to get there. Civilization has been a product of blind chance. Lots of people have contributed their labor to the world, but a large percentage of people have been more than willing to destroy it all for their own reasons and power and to implement another vision of the good. The first step in deciding what the next step will be is to define what we want, what we are seeking, what are we trying to achieve. The best one-word explanation is identity. When faced with a situation that we object to, we believe it does not reflect us. Our nations are a reflection of our identity. This is why we are willing to fight for them. This is all very well, but to get away from the prosaic explanation we know that in reality the framework of civilization, its infrastructure, is wrestled from the hard rock or the physical world. It is conceived of in the mind of man but its elements are fashioned from the steel of hard labor. We form our identity from the value we add to the world. But if we do not control our labor or our earnings, we cannot control who we are, we cannot control our identity. This world uses assets for equity, or capital, as money. Units of account are composed of other people's property. The state and banks own the units of account we use. Our store of value has value as a unit of exchange. Thus, the very money we use represents a liability. We owe the money to someone. It is never really ours. If we work with cash, we control what we earn. This is not the same thing as working for cash. Working with cash means we use cash as a unit of account, instead of an asset owned by a bank or state. Debt is an asset owed to some other agent. Debt represents a liability. Because our conventional monetary system uses assets as money, it is controlled by other agents, namely the ultimate owner of this asset. This ownership claim gives them a back door into our accounts. Debt is like a virus on your computer that permits other people to hack into your system. 
The only sound basis for a monetary system is value created, or equity. Workers create equity when they produce things of value. Monetized equity is utilized as a unit of account. Without this, we are subjects of a state without a sovereign existence. The difference is absolute. The economy uses cash created by labor or we are collateral of a state and its monetary system. We must demand our identity. We have a right to own our identity and define whom we are. To do this, we have to own the currency of our economy. If our identity is defined by the value we create, we must be free to create the most value we are able. This value, and the authorship of it, defines our identity. The person who is the most he can be does not create the highest and best conception of himself in a vacuum. Value and identity is created within a community, within an economy. The value others put on what we do defines the value of what we author. It is from this that we extract our identity. This truth tells us what we must do. We must create a mechanism for determine our true identity through accountability. We need an economy founded on precise and honest accounting. Neither the state nor corporation has the ability to define our identity because neither has the right to decide the value of our authorship. When we work for a company, the value of our work is based on how much value we provide for the company. But the company is not the measure of value. This is a false market. It is an evil conception. We become an identity fabricated either by private interests or the state. To make matters worse, the unit of value used by these agencies is corrupted. Units of domestic currency are incapable of determining true value. A community that is marginalized by investors has no money to pay those who work within the community and who seek to provide value for it. Why ought the person who sweeps the streets in Calcutta be rewarded so poorly compared to one who sweeps the streets of New York? Society talks about equality, but the equality offered is always an identity fashioned by the state. Intersectionality is a list of identities we can adopt to be recognized by the state. Are these even real identities? We get our identity from those in our community with whom we interact. We get a core identity from our parents, hopefully, who affirm the positive things we do and devalue the bad things we do. But the real socialization comes at work if we are lucky enough to have a job which provides us the opportunity to forge an identity. Many people mock the idea of people who identify with their job. This is the way we give and get value. The rest of our life is about helping others give and get an identity. Preferentially, we need a core group, a court that affirms our value or the things we do that has value. This court also holds us accountable for the costs we create. 
Courts work better when the members are people of one's own sex whom one works with and socializes with. It is also convenient if we have a court composed of our neighbors. These are best formed from between three and five persons. Courts are composed of persons who help one another. A unit of account is used. When we help others, we are paid in units of account and when someone helps us we pay them with units of account. The court is a market that permits economic activity to occur in an environment of accountability. The court is represented by a ledger. Each client is represented by a cash account. When we help someone units of value are added to the credit column of our account. When we are helped, we add debits to the debit column and this value is transferred over to the credit column of the person who provided the value for us. It is through the creation of value for others in our court that permits us to author an identity. The ultimate goal is to create a strong and resilient identity, but the process requires we create value for others so they can author their own identity. We need each other. We need to be neighbors, that is our identity. We need to be useful, in an economic sense. This is our identity also. We need to be accountable. This is what we need to do. We need to establish a means that ensure we are accountable for what we do, and others are held to account for what they do. Without accountability, we do not have a sovereign identity. We are just the creation of the state or corporate entities.